the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is EdTech, episode number eight, recorded Friday, September 14th, 2012. High in fiber. It's time for EdTech, your monthly meeting of technology managers from around the country. My name is Tim Albright. I'm your host. I'm also a technology manager. Imagine that. Uh, With us this month, as always, Scott Tyner. He is from Bates College up in the great northeast of Maine. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Tim. Looking forward to a good hour. I, oh, I hope so. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we, we, we try. Uh, head down the East Coast, if you would, please, over to George Mason University, and you will find Mr. Matthew Silverman. How are you, sir? Doing well. Thanks, Tim. Uh, and now you go three hours to the west, to the beautiful sandy beaches of UCLA, and we find Mr. Greg Brown. How are you, sir? <laughs> well, we don't have sandy beaches on, Cal- on on campus, but you could walk there if you really set your mind to it. Okay, so he has a beach within within range, and he's a freaking published blogger now. And and it's it, you know, and it, it it is, however, in the '60s today. It's a little on the chilly side. Oh, be quiet. Yeah, if if you want, we'll, we're going to put up a post. Up, uh, he he. By the way, just totally glossed over the fact that he's on Infocom's bo- uh, blog my, uh, board. My first now. blog. So post. yay, yes. Mr. Brown. Great Info stuff, Brad. Great stuff. Yes, it was. So yeah, Thank we'll you, we'll put up the link up to that. Uh, today, uh, this month, we're going to talk about uh, a couple different weird little um, computer things. You know how to control your laptop and the fact that your mouse might might be going away. Um, NEC will help pay for your programming changes. Sort of, yeah. They'll give snicker, you snicker. that what they pay, and 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 fifty cents will get, a cup, get you a cup of coffee. Um, a couple of uh, fiber things, and also uh, get out your calendars because we're going to talk about Infocom the show through twenty nineteen. But first, the worst kept secret in the world of technology this week was the fact that there's a new iPhone. Yay! Show of hands, who's who's got like i iPhones? Let's just do iPhone. Scott, do you yes. have one? Yes, Scott? sir. Matthew? Yeah, I'm still on the 3GS, so I'm thinking this may be the oh, time. Oh, you're just a Luddite. <laughs> I'm, Greg. I'm an Android person. See, I am too. I have a, I have a Nexus S. That but, you, but thank you for letting me, you know, associate with the rest of you. I know how you Apple people are. You know, I have. I'm weird. Okay, I'm. I'm two. I'm two faced I've got um, a Nexus S, but I also have an iPad. So, I, I don't know who I am. <laughs> so, uh, so the iPhone iPhone five came out. And one of the weird little things is that it has a brand new connector. And here's the thing that that came. There's the the story we're using is out of Bloomberg. Uh, Matt, we'll start with you on this. It, 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 so here's the thing: everybody in the world's like, "Oh my gosh, this is the worst thing ever. Why did Apple do this?" And as a technology guy, I'm going, "Okay, sure. It just gives me one more piece that." that solidifies my job as a tech manager because the next professor that walks in with his brand new iPhone five is going to go, I can't connect this. <laughs> is that valid? Am I, am I crazy? Uh, yeah. I mean, y- yes, I, I, from what limited I've read about like their technical decision making, I, I actually think it made a lot of sense. It's a higher speed connector. It's a fully digital connector. It allows them as I understand it to like, reprogram what some of the pinouts are dynamically so and frankly i think while the 30 pin connector had a long life it was probably time for it to go uh or it may have been more than 30 pins but the big old uh honker was it it wasn't a modern connector i mean if we're, we're all used to now to you know mini usb or things like that i mean and so i get that i i do but I agree with you as support professionals. Oh, hell, this is going to make our <laughs> lives fun. I mean, it means all of the dongles, which we check out the faculty, uh, not that I see them doing that much for their iPhones, but, you know, the next generation of the iPad, we all know it's going to have the new dongle. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, now I have to add, you know, the 27th Apple adapter uh, to our stock parts list. Um, I think the last time I went through this, I actually 
when we first made the switch to digital, I had put together a reference chart for based on which MacBook. This was just MacBooks. This wasn't even getting into iPhones or tablets. Uh, which dongle you needed based on which MacBook you had. Oh, you're and, kidding me. And I actually think, and this is from Apple's official site. I pulled most of this information. Something like seven or eight different dongles were required. Uh, we ended up deciding, to, I think, to stock about four of them. And that was only going back to, you know, maybe 2008. I wasn't even going back further than that. Okay, so let me get this straight. You're spending, because usually the dongle, and I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing here, usually a dongle is about 30 bucks. Well, if you bought it from Apple, it is. Okay, I got you. So you're saving some money by doing a third-party one. Yeah, we, we're. I mean, for the ones we could go third party, we did. Um, I mean, we're, t- we're we're still talking about. You know, I would say we drop a hundred bucks overall our support offices a year, maybe a semester even, on just replacing Mac dongles, which didn't make it back to the office. Wow. Um, in the scope of our operations, it's not a big deal. I mean, it's not a significant cost. You know, we've. We have had bigger things walk away, but it's it's annoying. And the bigger challenge is keeping our staff trained to understand if you have X, you need Y. And when that requires a three-page matrix, <laughs> that's a challenge. Um, so, and also it means, you know, all the accessories we all have, unless they make a old dock to new dock connector, you know, I know I have a speaker dock for my phone that no longer works. Um, I have, you know, a car charger. Now I need to, you know, if I upgrade to a five, I got to change that out. So someone's making money on this. It's uh, it's more annoying, but at some point you just got to cut it loose and cut over. So I understand it. Well, Ed Scott, he's right. You know, now you've got to train all your guys, and you can, you know. You can sweet talk Matt into giving him him your his matrix, uh, but you, he's right. You know, you've got to train all your guys. You guys have to get trained on, you know, a new protocol on when the professor calls and he says this doesn't work. You've got to figure out why now. Right, and so the the real issue I think is Matt was saying is not that they change the connector; it's that we're still not going with anything that's that's a standard. You know, it's it's not a micro USB, a mini USB. Even if they weren't going to put their video and their audio or their synchronization over it, if it was a micro USB that you could use a standard charger for, that would at least be nice. Um, and so that's the frustration that is Apple continues to not standardize on stuff. Um, but it's interesting. They do – I have seen advertisements already for um, the dock converters. Oh, jeez. Of course and you have. It, 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 but, but they're – but they're not – what they're going to help is what you plug into a wall. They're, they're not going to let you put this into your iDock radio because it's, you know, it's not going to fit. It's going to fall over. It's, it's a little adapter that goes on the bottom of it. So um, you know, any of us who have the iPad docks from Crestron in, in any of our rooms um, or any of the um, mounts for iPads or the like, because I think Matt's absolutely right. You think the, iPad, the next iPad is going to come out with the 30-pin? I don't think so. No. No, he's right. And, and Greg, is this something where we, I'm not going to say encourage your, your professors because that's, you know, trying to do that is like hurting cats, but um, <laughs> where you encourage or, or at least strongly suggest to guys, you know what, let's not use our our phones in general. Let's be, let's be <laughs> diplomatic here. Let's not use our phones for presentations. Let's, let's agree on tablets or just bring in a flash drive or, or, or something like that. Uh, not seeing a lot of that yet and we're working very hard at convert and at con- um at at getting people to bring their own adapters okay. so really hasn't been an issue for us i mean i just um i i haven't heard of anything here on campus where that has affected yet or has been affected yet i mean i just thought it was a a a, a really a, a little bit of a funny cold hard dose of AV reality for all the Apple fanboys and fangirls out there that oh my god they have to deal with a different connector you know I mean this is a college campus I mean you can't you can't swing the proverbial dead cat without hitting a an, an Apple uh, fanboy or fangirl of some sort where did you get those cats by the way alright uh, <laughs> continuing on the, uh, the Apple uh, bandwagon as it were 
Uh, Matt brought something to, really cool to this, actually. If you don't know what Kickstarter is, that's where this story comes from. Uh, Kickstarter, real briefly, is is a micro um, um, fundraising uh, platform where people can uh, give money to products that they think is a good idea. Um and when the people with that have the idea uh, get enough money, what whatever their goal is, um, they they give you the product, and then you know obviously um, they they begin selling it once they have it in development. Uh, and Matt, this one is called the Air Bridge, um, and it's from what I'm I'm getting, it's wireless connectivity for your iDevice. Yeah, it's it's really neat, and I, I got to give a hat tip to uh, um, Matt McChesney uh, from Blue Ridge Community College because he actually shared this on a um, Virginia uh, classroom tech list, or if we have, um, it's a hardware-based wireless display solution for iPads, which is awesome. It's not AirPlay. I yeah. doesn't have to interface with my networking guys. It's point-to-point wireless. My guess is it's possibly witty or wireless HD or one of the other. I, I haven't really delved too far into the technical details. But whatever it is, someone finally took technology that's out there and put together a really great product. And you know, you can talk about dock adapters. These guys actually thought ahead. The interface for your iDevice is actually a modular component, so you can actually change that out. And they've already talked that they're looking to put production into production, you know, the new Lightning or even like a standard HDMI or a micro HDMI. So it's not just an Apple product. Yeah. So it's awesome. Um, unfortunately, they've only, I guess, fundraised at this point about 50k out of the 500k they're trying to uh, raise. But they got about a month left on the project. So hopefully someone like Engadget or someone will pick this up and, you know, those things then go to town. Yeah, this is how the, the thing works is they say, you know, um, if, if the four of us developed some really cool product and we say we need, you know, $100,000 to get it off the ground, once we reach that $100,000, um, uh, Kickstarter gives it to us and we, you know, we do what we say we're going to do. And so, yeah, Matt's right. This is only at 56000 of, of half a million is what they're saying that they, they need. Um, Greg, is this something that either do you, let's not get evil on Apple, but it, this almost seems like something that they would buy up <laughs> almost to, to stop or to integrate into their own airplay. Well, that, that was my first thought. I looked at it and it seems like a, a, a gee dunk of an idea. It seems like, you know, why isn't this already made? This yeah. makes perfect sense. And so, yeah, my my first concern is, would be, you know, what's what's to keep? What, why wouldn't Apple start making, you know, one of these and charge twice as much? And and all of a sudden, everybody stops buying this and goes and buys the Apple one because it has the cute little Apple logo on the side mm-hmm. that we all have to have. Um, I, yeah, I, it, it, it's a neat idea, but yeah, it's, it strikes me as not, almost not niche enough. It seems like it makes, it makes a lot of sense and it should be out there, which at, at, at <laughs> some point, but, yeah. but, but, but at it, some but, point see, Apple will figure out a way to make a lot of money off of that. But, but you, see, you see, it's for commercial applications. So Apple's just not going to touch that. Oh, very nice. Very well done. Yeah, because they don't. Um, actually, frankly, the, the the corporation I'd be more scared of is uh, Cisco going after them because their logo looks strikingly familiar to Cisco's uh, logo. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I don't see Apple making it either because it, it's a. Uh, if Apple was going to do this, they'd put it in the phone. I think it's. It looks to me a little sloppy for Apple having a a device that you need to plug into your phone. Having a dongle like. Well, this this kind of thing it's sitting on that you plug into the bottom. That's just that's not to me. That's not Apple's kind of um, you know mode of operation. Uh, plus, I think that Apple. I think Apple may buy it out and just shut it down. We've seen them do that before. Yeah. But Apple thinks they've already got this with AirPlay. Well, isn't it time we start the rumors for the iPhone six? I mean, isn't that scheduled out in like like six months or so? Shouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. Year. Yeah, January uh, maybe. But <laughs> be on the on the top of the list of hey, the iPhone six is going to include this feature. That would be awesome. <laughs> it will. It'll it'll include that, and you'll be but able yeah, that's, to. Yeah, that's probably what'll happen. And it'll have a Pico projector in it. 
So, <laughs> sorry. No, that's the that's the seven. That's not that's out until the seven. Wait, right. it, well, it can't. It doesn't need both. That's though, next right? Christmas. <laughs> well, no, it needs both. Yeah, so that you can have multi-screen display or something. I don't know. Of course, it needs both. That means Apple will never put them in the same device. Oh, jeez. It, it'll it'll be connected via a Thunderbolt port. It'll be the only that the, the and, projector will be in your iPad in your iPad. There so we you go. That makes iPhone sense. and an iPad to make them work together. I'll I'll buy that. <laughs> I'll buy that. All right. Uh, one more story in the in the iOS world. Uh, smart. Uh, the guys who in the last six months have proved that they're not very. Um, has come out with an iPad app, which actually is kind of uh, intelligent. Um, Can you put a finer point on that there, I, I was trying, you know, alliteration, you know. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's an iPad app that helps with their devices. So uh, the app allows students or any, anybody, you know, holding the, 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 the iPad uh, to use the, the collaborative learning software that they've got inside their stuff. Um, Greg, is this something that they needed to do just to keep up with the quote-unquote Joneses in the, in the uh, annotation world? Uh, needed to well, they needed to do something. I mean, I am I, I I would put smart on a list of a handful of companies that, that I'm not sure how they're staying around. Looking a few years down the road, yeah. I mean, they are. And and I looked for this. It took me a while to find the app on the website. I I just literally had to search for it, but because I couldn't find a link for it anywhere, they don't really they don't really publicize it and. It's an obvious thing for them to do. I think they have to think more software-related, and they make a great software package. However, this is it. This is their software package. They're kind of a they're they're kind of a one-trick pony, software-wise. Although it's a really good trick, and beyond that, they've been nothing but very hardware or or saw themselves as nothing but a hardware company. I yeah. think for their entire existence and that's a i think that's a dangerous road going you know plotting that course into the future i'm not sure where that's going to lead so yeah an obvious thing for them to do probably makes a lot of sense i would have loved to have found a demo i looked for one but didn't see it if it works like their software i'm sure it's pretty slick but i'm not quite sure what act two of this play is going to include well act two may very well include being bought up by somebody else though i mean that that may very well be it um, Scott, is he, is he right? Is this their best trick? Is software their best trick anymore? Because everybody and their brother has some sort of hardware-based um, annotation. Well, exactly. I think that um, I've always thought of Smart as a software company. You know, that's what was so fantastic about their product. And I think that it's one of these things that you find in companies in today's world is that they need to be able to adapt and change and reinvent themselves. And Smart hasn't done that. They had this this huge market um, that, in my opinion, this, their stuff was way overpriced. And um, although we've got we we have one in every single classroom, we have a symposium in every classroom. Um, that we we're, we're wow. finally stopping to do that now because mm. our faculty don't use it. Mm -hmm. and really. Oh, there is that. Yeah, they don't. And, <laughs> and you know, and I, I think it's one of those things where details, details. They don't use it, and it for them to learn the software um, is not worth their time. And and I, I think I agree with that. And so I think that we need what a company needs to do is completely reinvent how somebody interacts with writing on a board or writing on a screen, and what happens from there. And when they do that, you know, they'll hit the jackpot. Smart, you know, has got this idea of the iPads interacting with it. Um, this comes. I don't know if any of you had ever, had ever seen their Slate product, um, yeah. which was which was a Bluetooth piece that you know you could pass around the room, um, and students could write on the on this Slate, that, and that would show up on the board. I think this idea of of having students in a room, you know, physically interacting with what what everybody's looking at is a great idea. I. I'm not sure that, that they're going to be able – I hope – listen, I'll, I'll be positive. I hope that they're able to completely reinvent themselves in a way that that makes sense rather than just kind of doing an addition to their smart product line. Okay. Yeah, and, and I, will, I will echo that as well. I do hope that they can, they can do that. Um, well, 
What, right. what probably would have made sense for them or what have probably would have been a good position for them would be if, if we had the option to use their software under license for every interactive tablet and whiteboard you, 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 out you, there. You, you do. It's uh, you can you can buy their smart their smart notebook is you can buy I think it's a hundred bucks a seat. You can buy it, and it'll work. Yeah. Will it, it run on everything out there? It, well, most of them. If, so, when you get some of them are, are are putting a lot of people are putting their own odd in some cases proprietary stuff on there. Okay. Let's put this course. way: if you can get something which can emulate a mouse, it'll work. Mm-hmm. Now you won't. You may not get full annotation like you have on a smart board. But you could use the smart notebook if that's what you were going for. Now, I'm going to jump in and take a very contrarian point of view to what's been said. I actually think in higher education space, smart software is absolute garbage. Okay. Um, I, I like some of their hardware. I actually think the uh, new 24-inch tablet they just started shipping is probably the best product they put out. I just put two of those in in two of our rooms this summer, and they're phenomenal. And I'm not a big fan of annotation, uh, but I they, they just work, which is a first. We've generally seen our faculty only want to use the basic tools. They either want to use just on-screen annotation, which I think Microsoft at this point even has built in, or they want to use like annotation within PowerPoint or Word which you're actually not using smart tools, you're using Microsoft Inc. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at like the, this notebook app right now. It's, it's seven bucks a pop. And I could see this being really good in a K-12 environment where you have a smart board or a tablet or something like that. The instructor is building curriculum in smart, where I do think the smart notebook works well for K-12 curriculum. And you have an iPad program where every student has an iPad with this on it. So you have a fully immersive smart environment. But I, I've just not been a big fan of their software at the higher ed level. It's generally not – it's been, frankly, too bloated. I mean, if you look at what's in smart notebook, they have never depreciated any elements through 10 versions. Oh, which leads to this just mm. th- this troublesome product, in my opinion. So – that's my two cents on it. I mean, I think it's cool for K twelve. I, I just don't see much higher ed at you know application here. And and yeah, so Matt, I, yeah. I agree with you, and I think that that's where smart and and that's been their their bread and butter is, is the is the K twelve. But that's where smart or some other company is going to jump in one day and say exactly what you say because my father is the same. They want the basic annotation. Mm-hmm. And they they would love for their students to be able to be involved in that some way, but. Honestly, that software is hard to use now, and they do the, they've done these crazy things recently where they have windows pop up on the on your monitor and you can't get rid of them. I don't know if any of you have seen that yet, but mm-hmm. their update over this summer, there's a window you cannot get rid of right in the middle of your PowerPoint, and it oh, takes it, it took me about five minutes um, to to finally you know go into some system settings and get rid of that thing. There, uh, there was actually a product I saw at Infocom the show uh, this year. It was not a shipping product, and I am feeling really bad because I'm blanking on the uh, the manufacturer. It was a Chinese product uh, projector manufacturer who was just moving into America. Hmm. They um, and I want it's I want to say it's Vivitech, but it's not that. It's it's something very close to that. It'll probably come to me later in the show. Um, but it's, it, they had a, I'd say alpha beta version. They were actually working of a product, uh, for a German school system that they showed to us, which was a overlay you put over any screen or any monitor. It really didn't matter. It was just basically a snap on Mm -hmm. and that gave you annotation. And this was actually paired with an Android based, no iPads involved, solution to have full interactivity between the students and the instructors where you could have polling, you could have quizzing, you could have have them write on their device and then it would uh, show up on the monitor so you wow. could have full collaboration. 
And they were just curious if we were interested. Absolutely. I just passed on to our independent rep. I said, yeah, we, we, you know, if that, um, you know, if something comes from there, um, oh, it, it is actually Vivitech. I just was spelling it wrong. It's uh, V-I-V-I-T-E-K. Um, so it, it is Vivitech USA is their website. And I don't know if this will ever make it to market, but it was neat and it did everything Scott was asking for. Well, that's that's kind of cool is that the fact that they've they've wrapped up a bunch of different um, products, whether it's the the polling and the and the multi user annotation and all that stuff. So that's kind of cool. All right, you are listening to EdTech with Matthew Silverman, Greg Brown, and Scott Tyner. Um, one thing that we, we were talking about smart here for a second. There, there, I think that that they're ha- going to have to get away from from hardware and, and go into software. And somebody else that is as well is is, is Polycom. Um, when it comes to video conferencing, I like Polycom a lot. We have uh, two systems here on, on our campus. Nothing against um, Cisco or you know Tanberg uh, as it was, uh, LifeSize or anybody else. But that's just that's who I've had you know experience with. This past month, uh, their earnings report they they had a seventy seven percent drop. Um, uh, I'm not an economist, but I don't think that's good. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, Scott, is this something where these guys are going to? For kind of they're going against Cisco, I mean, and, and and you know nothing against Cisco, but they're they're one of the big behemoths. Um, you've got Cisco on one end, or you have Skype on the other end, and we all love Skype because that's what we're using right now. Um, is this something where they're going to have to get away from selling the boxes and make their software so incredibly either easy or compelling that people will pay money for it? Well, first, you know, Tim, like you, I'm not an economist, but I, I, when I, as I read the article, I was trying to figure out the correlation between a 77% drop in sales and a massive turnover in, in their sales force in the United States. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, couldn't, I couldn't understand how those two correlated with each other. <laughs> um, you know, I think what Polycom will have to do is decide which one of those they want to do. Because as I see the the market today, you have the the very high end video conferencing, the telepresence or the you know the video conferencing with with quality of service built in, and then you have Skype, or you know Google Chat or whatever, yeah. and FaceTime. FaceTime exactly. And I think that that those are you know those are those, that's the spectrum. I don't I don't know that there's room in the middle anymore. Uh, I, we have Polycom, I, and I've always liked it, and we, we used it a lot. I was talking to somebody yesterday. I think that in uh, the past year and a half, where we've done well over 100 conferences, we haven't done one using our high-end conferencing stuff. It's all been Skype. Wow. And so – and that's because there's no, there's no need to do Skype. The people we deal with right now in higher ed are – are willing to deal with the issues of, of you know, internet latency and the like. Um, and so I, I think if you're in a boardroom and you've got you know the CIO of two you know Fortune 100 companies talking, you know they're going to go with the telepresence and the Cisco stuff. So I don't know that there's that room in the middle anymore. That's that's at least what I'm seeing. Okay, Matt, is this just the whole YouTubeization of of America where we're okay with you know lower latency quality as long as we get the information we want? No, I I, I actually kind of agree with uh, Scott there. I, I think we've hit the point that. Except for very specific applications, hardware-based video conferencing is dead and dying, and it just doesn't know it. I, I don't think this is just Polycom. I think Cisco, though, be, though you may not see it as direct a correlation as part of the mothership. Um, I mean, besides, I'd say you know, government, military, super high-end, you know, C-level stuff or places where they need encryption, you know. There's no good reason to really heavily invest in hardware. Um, you know, has George Mason moved off hardware? No. Um, that has more to do, I think, with just how we're thinking about it and unwillingness to step outside our box. But if you look at services like BlueJeans, which I'm pretty sure I've mentioned a couple of times oh, yeah. on the show, um, and I love them. I've used their uh, used their bridge for training. I've used their web-based no-download um, uh, VC client, which, in my opinion, knocks the socks off anything I've seen from Polycom or Cisco. And it's just 
it's software. I mean, you know, Microsoft has gone heavy with uh, with Skype and Link, mm-hmm. and it, it, it's it, software is the future for your desktop. Software is the future for your small room. I mean, you know, you could buy that Logitech two hundred and fifty dollar camera, and you now have a conference room which is Skype or something else ready, um, where we used to have to drop you know twenty thousand dollars worth of gear in. So. It, it's an evolution. My question is actually, why didn't this happen sooner? Um, you know, but yeah, I, I'm. I, I think. I, I think for our mainstream video conferencing, it's not even a quality issue because I think you can get high enough quality with these software-based services because we now have enough computing on the desktop. You don't need that dedicated you know, video processor anymore. You, yeah. you can do it with your video card on a standard business qual- class machine. Greg, do you think there will ever come a time where we completely eliminate hardware at all? Like there's nothing, it's all in the cloud? Well, I, I, think, uh, I think both Matt and Scott made, made really great points there about, you know, software taking over the entire low end of things. Um, and I think the thing we have to remember is that stuff is only going to get better. You know, we talk about the quality of Skype and the, the quality of this, these software-based things. And, you know, I, I only see that side of the, of the house getting bigger and being even more of a threat to, yeah, you know, it's, it's not going to be a high-end telepresence room anytime soon. But I think it's only going to get bigger and higher quality. And, you know, Polycom is another one of those companies where... You know, I'm I'm not quite sure where they're going. You know, a couple of years ago, the the road started to split in one direction. You know, towards the high end, and in the low direction, and or in another direction, in the the cheap software based stuff, and they continued to sort of pedal straight into a tree. <laughs> yeah, that's a good analogy. <laughs> you know, so I mean, we'll we'll see. Let me give you a hypothetical. Moving it up just from the low end, though. I mean, we, you know, right now we do all our conference rooms and classrooms with the Cisco C40. Kodak plus, you know, a couple of years of maintenance, I think we're looking at a cost of about somewhere between fifteen and 20000 I don't exactly remember what that Kodak goes for these days. Let's assume George Mason were to roll out some sort of enterprise conferencing, be it Cisco, be it, um, you know, Link or something, something like that, like Jabber or Link. We could then, if we got our faculty familiar with using it at our desktop, put about a $2,000 AV bridge in from Vadio and keep our system design pretty much the same. All they would have to do is start the call inside the software client for, rather than with the Crestron. And I've now cut you know, $15,000 off the cost of a design, wow. and I don't have to change the rest of the system. That, so, that could make a difference. That's a huge difference. I mean, and you 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 <laughs> yeah. extrapolate that over how many rooms you have. Uh-huh. I mean, good lord! Wow. Wow. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the world of fiber, uh, because you know we all have fiber and we all need fiber. Today's show is high in fiber. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's that's a euphemism that I didn't ever think I'd hear. Um, I, here's the thing. This is this one comes from CE Pro. Um, our, our buddy uh, Julie Jacobson and them. Uh, it came out of out of actually it came out of Cedia, which is kind of interesting to me. But I I saw this and I'm like, holy cow! This has so many education applications. What it is? It's a fiber cable that has detachable HDMI connectors. Now, guys, what's the first thing I thought? I'm like, okay, you've got balance, which is what it is. Um, we've been having conversations for how many years about DM and about other twisted pair um, solutions for sending HDMI, you know, farther than 50 feet successfully. And suddenly these guys have got this fiber, which, you know, ostensibly you can go up to a thousand feet, according to these guys. Um, the, co- the company called is, is called Celerity. Um, almost think of, think of, think of celebrity without the B in the middle. Um, but I'm like, holy cow, this is somewhat exciting. So if you have a room that let's say that you just want to put in, uh, an HDMI connector for a laptop or for you know a, a, a PC. To me, this seems a lot more cost effective than slapping in a DM system or an, a, an AMX system. Um, Matt, is is this is this 
is this plausible to you or is this something like it's almost like snake oil here i mean I, i'm trying to figure out why i'd want to do that over for example some of the cheaper hd based tea i mean it, it'd have to be a place where i have a distance limitation and copper wasn't an option i mean i i just i I could do the same thing with, you know, a hundred and fifty dollar part which I've bought before, which is a single Cat Five cable bell and solution. Okay. So now, if I need to go a thousand feet, yeah, that that actually could be an application. But um, at least in my environment, I've never needed to go a thousand feet. So okay, Scott. So is it maybe a, a cost issue? Because he's he's right. A thousand feet is eighteen hundred bucks. A hundred feet is five hundred bucks. So that's still kind of costly when you start. Uh, considering other other um, point-to-point applications, Scott, is that is that the deal here? Where if these guys want to make a run at this, um, they need to drop their price. I, that was my first reaction to it. Is wow, that's that's somewhat pricey. My my other reaction was that you're you're you've now taken your typical HDMI cable, which has two points of failure, and you've turned it into four points Jeez, because, yeah. because because those are detachable. Um, but the interesting thing is, and you know, I'm sure we're all on on different email lists and groups. And there's there's been some email going on in one of the groups I'm on recently about um, copper and HDMI and HDCP, and people starting to have some issues with 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 that, and whether the cables aren't you know um, crimped right or whatever the issue is, they're they're seeing some problems there. So the thing I like about this, and I, if you read this, is this is a you order custom lengths. You're not you're not putting the ends on this fiber. Yeah. You order it in the length that it comes on, so you get a, a decent cable. Why would I like this over some of the other stuff we've used from um, two of the major companies? Is well, let's say that the Crush Run now says you don't need shielded twisted pair. But I have got a, a particular um, bug in my bonnet lately about people saying, oh, use standard twisted pair. And then you read it a little more carefully and <clears throat> shielded. They'll put in parent, you know, parentheses or something. <laughs> shielded twisted pair is not standard twisted pair. And, um, and so th- that's really started irritating me lately. And you know, that's the first thing they ask you when you call them. Well, is it shielded? No, as you see, it's standard twisted pair. Oh, but our shielded is highly recommended. Well, yeah, but it's not required. <laughs> yeah, so, well, so yeah. You, you, you can so, use unshielded. It'll only go 15 feet, but you can use unshielded. Or in the other case I was talking about, it had to go more than 16 feet. But we won't, <laughs> we won't go there because that, oh, really, <clears> that, really, yes. oh, yeah. <laughs> that really put me over the edge. Um, so – does fiber fix some of that is is the the question and and would this help some of those issues with you know because we know that the cable has got to do this communication and this handshake and it's got to do it flawlessly so maybe that's where fiber would be beneficial here and constantly <laughs> right yeah absolutely so all right uh we're gonna continue on after talking about that um this is i think one of my favorite stories of of the month and i i don't know which one of you gentlemen passed it to me so i thank you for it whoever did um nec has a great uh program it's called swap (laughs) out with nec and we'll pay your reprogramming costs this is wonderful right um, I mean, you know, Matt and and and, uh, and Scott and I, uh, we all have, you know, currently we have great Crestron systems, and, and I think all three of us know how to program. At least we have guys that, who do. Um, I do. I'm I'm I am the programmer here on, on my campus, and and Greg is just getting into Crestron, so this will be great for him. You know, you can um, you can swap out your projector, and uh, and they'll they they are nice enough um, to uh, pay. $150 um, to have your system reprogrammed uh, if you purchase five projectors. So let me get this straight. Um, I, I'm not good at math, but um, you're going to get a programmer, a Crestron. That's why you're going to grad school. Right? I know, I know. A, a Crestron certified programmer to reprogram your room th- for 30 bucks a room. Yeah, so, so Tim, I, I set this on you because when I first saw it, it was kind of a joke, but when I first saw it, I was like, oh, oh my, this is really interesting because, you know, there's always this debate of should we do programming in-house? And one of the first times I decided that I was going to look into it is when I wanted a button so that we could switch between 4 by 3 and 16 by 9 aspect ratios on a TV, put on a touch panel. And they told me it was like a $750 cost. Yep. 
I said, all right, I'm going to start looking into this. And so I thought, you know, maybe things are turning. And, you know, so now, I mean, what they're really saying is they'll pay you enough for a programmer to open simple windows. <laughs> yes, maybe. <laughs> Not do anything, but open the program. To open the right. program, yeah. Laugh he'll point, and then close it. He'll he'll point that and tell you where your problem is, and then ask you to pay the other seven hundred dollars. <laughs> Can I tell uh, you? Okay, this this is my. I have a story similar to to, to Scott. Um, I was on the job here maybe six months, not even that, and um, we had two huge barcodes go out in two of our huge lecture halls. Uh, these barcodes were the, were the size of Yugos, and I mean the whole three guns and everything. And so it was less expensive to replace them, and we got a couple really nice uh, uh, Epsons at the time. Um, well, the company that um, put the original system in. Uh, did not give us the code and would not sell us the code, would not give us the code. Uh, and so it cost $1,000, $1,000 for them to change the 232 code from barcode to Epson. <laughs> and I was just like Scott. At that point, I went to my first two uh, Crestron class and, and learned how to do it myself. Well, and, now you can you can send NEC a bill for that now. Well, yeah, <laughs> and and what I did was, um, I even when we went to to uh, to rehab those two rooms, um, I, I contacted the company again and said, you know, here's the deal. You know, you guys, this has been you know uh, eight or nine years years ago. Can I can I get the code from you? And, this, and they they flat out refused. Would not sell it. Would not give it to me. So you know what I did? I ripped everything out and put in brand new and programmed it myself. Mm-hmm. And I will never buy Crestron from that company again. <laughs> yeah, you know that—that's why here with this this move to Crestron and programming that we're doing, you know, we're we're going to have the programming done by an outside programming company. And we did a little bit of a, you know, interviewed a bunch of folks to do that. And one of the first things we always mentioned was, "Hey, we're going to own the code." Yeah. And if that's a problem, you know, hey. <laughs> We're not interested. We're, you know, that's the end of the discussion. You know, we've, we did we've a, heard too many of these stories. We uh, we did a program uh, a a, pro, a, 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 um, a building project. Oh, good lord! Two years ago now, and I, I was able to assist and help with the design of it. And I had never done um, a, a spec as a spec book where you write you know physically in the uh, in the CSI code and all this other jazz. And one of the things we put in there uh, in in the bid documents was that. The client, the customer, i.e., us, uh, retains the ownership of that code, uh, and that's actually it's it's part of our our processes now. That whenever we have a program built um, or an a uh, an AV system put in, is that that's part of the bid documents that the that we own the code at the end of the project. I'll, I'll jump in here for one second mm -hmm. just to tell you because another list that many of us are on um, has had a conversation recently about programming and the like, and. Um, me and another person are working on a, a forum where we can gather some of that programming and share it amongst each other. So for those of us who do programming, awesome. you know, you know, we've added class capture into a lot of our rooms. I can, you know, I don't have any problem putting that simple Windows program up there and letting other people take from it what they they may, and hopefully somebody will put something up there that I need to know how to do. Oh, I totally would, because you guys would make fun of my program. <laughs> it's, it's functional, but that's about it. Although, you know, keep in mind that is going to make some people some people very unhappy. It would make the end users cakes. starting to share, uh, the, you know, uh, uh, Crestron code like that. Oh, yeah, that's going to upset some people. You think? Yeah. See, I don't think it would. You know, know what? They, 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 need, they need to learn how to, add, to offer services that add value because that's the I, way I, they're going to get business. I'm not saying I disagree with you. Oh well, no! I'm, I, I, it, it just. I think we're at this change, and we've talked about this a couple times on the show. We're at a point in the industry where the end user may be the most educated person in in the room at times. Well, and, let's, and go ahead. Go go for it. No, go ahead. Go ahead. And and I mean, and I'm saying that with integrators and consultants and even programmers, we are not looking anymore at projects being one-off walk away and it's done yeah. we have to own and support these rooms for seven years which means we're updating code we're managing it in a way that i don't know if the av industry was ready for and you know if you can't make your money from us on our programming find a service you can offer us where you can i mean there's still stuff we need 
Um, I know Scott had them on uh, the technology managers group. I wasn't able to attend that meeting, but the the independent technology service providers, it's why I think that segment is growing so fast, is they're adding a lot of value to the industry. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And and, and I don't disagree, Greg, that there's going to be some people that are upset. Um, In my own little world, though, nobody I deal with is going to be upset because they don't have that business anyway. Right, right. And, and here's the other thing I was going to say is, is with the introduction of this next generation of processors, let's talk Crestron specifically for a second, um, they, they're developing software that you don't need to go to class for anymore. Um, not just simple, or not simple Windows, um, System Builder, but this next generation of, of, of System Builder is as simple or simpler than some of the other point-and-click programming uh, languages that are out there and you start doing that you get yourself a student worker who understands some basic logic and some basic av and he can do he can be your programmer and i think that i think will upset people greg more than you know guys like me and scott who just you know know how to do it right i i agree i think that the let's say the independent programmers out there are going to be more upset with any of the big companies who keep making it easier for us to do do this program. I've always, you know, I remember thinking this back when um, Crestron put, started putting out Quick Media, and and Gary K went on a tour with them, talking about it. Because and it was, the essential thing was throw some Cat Five wires in the wall. You know how to put ends on them, and you've got a hang and bang room. And I was like, oh my word, my integrator's gonna flip out about this. And so I think those are the people that are gonna be, you know, more and more upset and kind of say to Crestron or Extron or Amex. Maybe you should be making this a little more complicated for people to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Don't give them any ideas, Scott. All right. Uh, and, and Crestron is saying, you know, we can't, make it, we, we can't make it more complicated. They'll all jump ship and go over to Xtron. <laughs> <laughs> no, we won't. All right. Uh, you're listening to EdTech. Greg had to say that. He's about five miles away from Anaheim. Uh to no, it's a little further than that, but they, uh, they never mind. Yeah. That's nothing uh, I can say here. It's Greg Brown, uh, whose mom, uh, Matt Silverman, and uh, and Scott Tyner from Bates College. Uh, a couple more stories here, guys, real quick, and uh, and we'll we'll uh, we'll kind of uh, head out here and, and go about our way. Um, oh, good lord, what do we pick next? Let's do Premiere. <laughs> Because I don't know. Um, here's the thing: the premiere is is moving. Premiere mouse, huh? You want me to take that one? Well, I, I, I'll I'll introduce so, it, and because local to premiere as well as Extron. Well, no, 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 no. Because here's the thing: I I have a, actually a really good friend who works at Premiere. Uh, his name is uh, his name is Sam Malik, and um, Sam used to work for uh for Sanyo. Um, and then when Sanyo and Panasonic kind of uh. I'm going to say they merged, but they, you know, they swallowed Sanyo. Uh, he, he, he recently went over to Premiere, so they moved their headquarters. Now you can go, Greg. Um, yeah, I and I, I think I suggested this story, um, and and I will simultaneously both. Well, they, they they're basically just moving. They're moving from from Anaheim to Fullerton. It's like a few miles, but I I would at the same time give them, first of all. Props for actually building a mount that we've been trying to get them to build for a couple of years. A, a dedicated, they're, they're, um, we, we use a lot of their dedicated mounts uh, because our tamper-proof hardware that we have had custom-made for us years ago fits them really well. So I have a lot of premier mounts, and we've been trying to get them to make a dedicated mount for the small Panasonic projectors. The the 100s, the 200s, the 300s, the 400s all have an identical mounting pattern. And and they finally came out with a mount, which we were just really, really happy about. And we sent them a great big order because we wanted to change out a bunch of older, unreliable projectors that that are using... um, we, We just basically have to change the plate on the projector and hang a new plate on the existing mounts. Wow. Really, really speed. Uh, you know, we, we're talking about doing you know forty or fifty uh, projector upgrades this summer. But as soon as we ordered, 
that's when we discovered, oh, but we're shutting down for six or eight weeks while we move all of our equipment from one side of, the, of, of, of town to the other. And they're only moving a few miles, but they do a lot of their work here. And so I, at, simultaneously to giving them props for the new mount, just want to, like, trash them for stopping production in the middle of summer just in time for when we need to order all of our mounts for all of our summer work. Hey, so Greg. I, I, sort of love-hate relationship with them right now. I, I heard a rumor, Greg, that they, that they were moving because of um, too much traffic in Anaheim with the new restaurant that opened down there. Oh! <laughs> very nice. No, but seriously, that was a little bit oh, of a Oh, explain joke. that, Tyner. <laughs> Well, I from what I know, there's this new country western restaurant down there. That's the that's the big. Have you been, Greg? I have not been. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. I want to see you. I want to see video of you doing a line Excuse dance. Excuse me, my phone is ringing. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Extron phone. Um, but see, Greg, just a curious question. When you talk about the mounts. Why don't why, why don't you use universal mounts? Oh, good because question. we haven't found any that were not dreadfully unsecure. Okay. They, they tend to use the most of the the universal mounts used a pinned hex, which great. I need to run over to Home Depot before I can steal your projector. No, that makes perfect sense because we, as you can imagine, have got very little theft issues. But clearly, I can see where you'd have a different different. Yeah, and and all of the other departments have a terrible hard time keeping projectors around here. And knock on wood, we have never lost a projector that we used this tamper-proof hardware that we buy that we've been buying for oh probably the better part of the last ten years now. Wow. On. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I, I'm, with, I'm with Scott. I've lost one in 10 years. Well, we, we've had one or two where my guys uh, kind of forgot to put the tamper-proof hardware in. And um, we discussed that concept after the fact. <laughs> I'll tell you what I love really? most about the universal mount is the emergency replacement. Yeah. You know, so yeah. that I can be in and out of a room literally in about considering it's the same brand protector, but in and out of a room – you know, 10 minutes, I can get a projector swapped out because of this universal mount. We, we do something, I guess, similar. I th it sounds like it may be similar to Greg. It's uh, made by BMS. It's a uh, secure yeah. mount, which is a plate mounting system where our projector is actually mounted to a plate which slides into the mount. And uh, all the screw points are blocked, and it's a keyed lock. And... For maintenance, it's really simple. You just we actually have projectors ready to go on plates. So oh, wow. one okay. goes down, you just slide one out, slide one in. You know, ten minutes, you're good to go. For about a year yeah. now, Chief has been making their universal mounts with a with a lock on it, so that you can't slide it out. If you got uh, if you could get up above enough, you might be able to get it out of the projector. But um, our view on that's been, if you're going to spend twenty minutes in there, you're going to get that projector one way or another. Yeah, that's true. All right, guys, yeah. a couple more stories real quick. Uh, first of all, uh, Duquesne came out with a, a a new mic system. It's a wireless mic system uh, for K-12 market. And I'm going to ask you guys, because you're smarter than me, um, is there a point where you don't think... There was that, a lot of disagreement there on that one, wasn't there? <laughs> what, yo, no, there was no disagreement. You guys Cue the kinda, crickets. You guys just kind of shut up for a second while I told you you're smarter than me. Um, the one time we're... The one time we're quiet during the show. <laughs> um, here's my thing. There has to be a point where putting a microphone in a room, and, and, and I guess I'm, I'm asking for a size here or, you know, a square footage. But putting a, 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 a microphone in a class, you know, of 20 or 30 students, whether they're little kids or they're college students, to me sounds like a waste. I mean, yes, I'll give you a lecture hall. But a class of 25 kids is not needed, do you think, Matt? No, we, we our cutoff at Mason has been 50. However, oh, wow. okay. we are starting to revisit that. Um, you know, generally, I'd say 50 is our cutoff. There's maybe a handful of rooms where we just decided the acoustics were so awful that you, you needed, you know, a little bit of speech left. Uh, but... Really, even in 50-seaters, we've seen instructors don't use the microphones. I'd say you really have to get up to about 100 before they feel obligated to use it. Um, 
and we actually have a meeting next week with our ADA staff uh, to start looking at some of the new regulations that actually went into effect back in March. But we may change that number based on their interpretation of guidelines. Uh, but from a functional point of view, 50 has really been our magic number. Okay. Scott, do you guys have a, a hard and fast rule like that? Like this is the number of people where we'll, we'll give you a microphone for it? We, we don't. I think we're a little bit like Matt in the sense that we will walk into a room and just kind of get a sense of the room, the shape of the room, the size of the room, the, the ambient noise in the room. Do we need something? And we'll often err on the side of caution and put something in if we think there's a chance. But, you know, if you're talking about a 15, 15 person or even, you know, 20, 25 person um, seminar room, I'm not going to put a microphone. I mean, it, 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 it's probably more annoying than it is helpful yeah <laughs> blasting the people out from the front row right uh greg do you guys have like do you have a, a a rule of thumb that you use we uh we put them in just about every place and and we have we have rooms that go down to 11 in capacity i'm not quite sure we've got um wireless mics in in any rooms quite that size but we see requests for wireless mics pretty regularly in rooms starting at about 30 people but the the way we look at it being the um, elite university that we are we cannot ask our instructors to strain their voices and actually you know project out over the class we have to give them what they want which is wireless mics so that they can uh, they can you know speak in their in their hushed whispers, Did um, and also like uh, like was alluded to, we do use them as the input for our uh, hearing assist systems, which we have every place. We have uh, amplified sound and um, and also our podcasting system plugs into the wireless receiver. So if you want to podcast a class, largely the process is to just get yourself a wireless mic. Very good. Did, did you guys hear that we're in the presence of an elite college? That is that. that I mean, well, I've, I've heard the Bears are pretty elite. <laughs> uh, we're gonna have the whole Bears Bruins thing oh, again. You please, you obviously this. didn't hear me doing the little quotation marks with my fingers while I said please, that. Please don't mention Bears this morning. It was a rough night last night. So. Uh, I'm a huge oh, we we had a you know how you get the the car chases on TV and and instantly. All of the evening news is focused on following the car chase. I, 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 it might not be as big of a thing out there as it out Absolute here as it is. Greg. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, I was Except thinking it's, about it's four wheelers. It, <laughs> snowmobilers, right? Yeah, snowmobiles. We had a bear that had wandered down into into a backyard in a neighborhood, sort of in the foothills here, and every freaking news station all night oh, had geez. the helicopters for for like like the the eight o'clock and nine o'clock hour completely. Everybody was just focused on you know looking for the bear in the spotlight from the helicopter footage. Because a bear was seen in this neighborhood. And occasionally they actually did spot the bear. The bear actually took a swim in somebody's swimming pool. But the entire freaking night on local evening news was helicopter news footage of a bear. Must have been a slow day in L.A. <sighs> Obviously there wasn't a car chase to follow. Yes. All right. Uh, last and certainly not least, Infocom came out with their schedule through 2019. Uh, unfortunately, I have something scheduled in during 2018, so I won't be joining you. Uh, but <laughs> 2019, I'm, I'm joking. Um, Is this your graduation date? The, oh, it better oh. not be. It better not be. Um, the uh, Infocom, the show, uh, released their dates through 2019. And uh, just like any great tennis match, we're bouncing back and forth between Orlando and Vegas, and then Orlando, and then Las Vegas, and then Orlando, and then Las Vegas, and then Orlando. If you followed that, congratulations, because 2013, which is next year, will be Orlando, and then just kind of go back and forth there. Um, is this any a problem for anybody? <laughs> anybody see a problem with this? Um, I personally do, because I don't like the show in Orlando. Um, I think it's it's weird. Um, it's not weird. Here, here's my, my again, my, my, my double-sidedness of this. I think the 
venue in Orlando is great. I like having everything under one roof in one hall and all that jazz. In Vegas, you don't have that. We're split up into into two separate halls. However, outside of the conference, when you like, you know, have things to do and you want to go hang out with your friends, we want to have a technology manager's dinner um, or, or what have you. Orlando just doesn't seem as friendly to do that. Does that make sense, guys? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yes. So, Matt, do you have a problem with this, or are you are you looking forward to bouncing back and forth because you're uh, you know East Coast? I mean, it it I guess it really doesn't bother me all too much. I, I've got used to the rotation. I know talking to people over at Infocom, um, I think they get better U.S. attendance. Or it, it's like they get better U.S. stems, I think, at the Vegas show, and they get better international at the Orlando show, or something like that. Hmm, makes um, sense. I also know that Orlando is actually quite popular with a lot of people because they bring their families down. Because there's a lot more family-friendly stuff to do in Orlando. Agreed. <laughs> um, and, well, there's there's other stuff you can do in Vegas, I guess, and it just may not be with the family-friendly variety. We've heard uh, rumors. <laughs> And, and seen pictures. None, none of us would know, though. No. Uh. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it really doesn't bother me. I mean, it's I, I kind of thought we would have grown to the point where it would have been like locked into Vegas because I think we take up most of Orlando at this point, uh, where there is some expansion left in Vegas. But you know, I guess what now that uh, NCSA. Uh, decided to go their own ways, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll lose another thousand square feet or whatever booth, uh, yeah. plus the Extron if they, you know, if they come back or not. So. Wow. I didn't even think about that. I just, I figured they were gone for good. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Tyner, uh, is this, is this a big deal to you or are you just going to come back um, back and forth? It, it's not to me. I, I actually, um, to be contrary, like it in Orlando better than, than Vegas. Um, Except for the the well, I guess the heat's about the same. The humidity's a little different in Orlando, yeah. um, and so I'm I I actually never went to an Infocom in either, other than those two places when they you know, did it in Atlanta. You know, I've never been to any other place but those. Um, although I I actually again I don't know I'm trying to be difficult. I actually I do like the idea when you're in Vegas of having the two halls. I like the way that they're. Hmm. Um, Separated, and I don't know. In my mind, it makes it easier for me to focus on one hall one day, okay, the next yeah. hall the next day, and I feel like I've covered more. Whereas in Orlando, I'm like, oh my, how am I ever going to make it through this whole mess? Yeah, and that's and that's a valid point too. Um, that that you know, I'm the opposite way. I'm like, okay, give me the whole one big shot, and then work my way through. Right, uh, Greg. I, I, I unlike uh, Scott, I actually was at the one in, in Anaheim, uh, which I think was really cool. It was a little bit tight. But it was really cool. Is this a big deal to you? Since you know, I think this last year you actually drove to Vegas, uh, being at UCLA. But you know, you'll have to fly to Orlando. Um, you know the 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 Anaheim show there in what was that? Oh seven, I think seven, was yeah. The, yeah. was the only non Orlando or Vegas Infocom I've gone to. So I don't don't have a lot of. Of, of of history to refer to, um, yeah. If it's in Anaheim, we we send everybody and their brother out there, which can be kind of a drag. Normally, I'm trying to, I'm trying hard to lose people <laughs> here from campus and you know focus uh, on what I need to focus on yeah. rather than you know handhold somebody. But um, yeah, so you know whatever, I'm fine with it. At whatever. least we know yeah. it is what it is. All right. I guess you know, I'm, I'm the only only one that's you know I'm not even upset. It's, it's just, just it's like, not a dry heat. It's it's a it's a wet heat. Yeah, that's I can think that's. My it's issue. not a wet heat. It's walking in a I don't know a floating swamp and walking in a suit. <laughs> yeah. Go to the X bar. Yeah. yeah. When I was at the Navy, there, there used to be a Navy base in Orlando, and I was sentenced. I mean, stationed there for <laughs> for six months. And boy, you know, we we wore these polyester white uniforms, every, and every day as we left school, it would rain on us. Wow! And it'd be like you know, 110 degrees and raining. It was just of oh, it's hard. Oh, jeez. All right, I think that's as much trouble as we can get into today. Uh, <laughs> thanks, guys, for joining us. Uh, with this has been Scott Tyner. He is from Bates College. Would you like to promote anything, kind sir? 
I am all set, but thank you for the a, a good hour, just like I expected it to be. All right. Uh, well, we're going to mention Scott because he's our, our illustrious leader of uh, the Technology Managers Council, so go just go sign up for that. That's what we'll promote for Scott. Uh, also with us is Matthew Silverman uh, of George Mason University, but he also has his own blog and website. He's fancy that way. <laughs> so go ahead and give it to us, sir. Sure. Um, the uh, website is uh, nextedutech.com, uh, though I've been kind of negligent in updating <gasps> my blog. I'll probably get something out in the next month or so. Um, what I do want to definitely promote is um, in about three weeks, I'll be out at the CCUMC conference. I'm actually doing uh, two presentations there, one on enterprise AV, and the other one is a modern-day technology manager survival guide. So Very should cool. be good stuff. Very cool. All right. And uh, last but not least, Greg Brown. He is from UCLA, but he's also a blogger for Infocom. So thank you, sir. The latest, the newest blogger at uh, Infocom All Voices, where where I get to hang out with a whole lot of people that are a whole lot smarter than me. So that means they're way smarter than me. So, uh, <laughs> um, Well, I, I wasn't going to say it. But, well, I, I said it. You know, I just, you know. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. If you'd like to follow me, my Twitter is T is in Tim, D is in David Albright, A-L-B-R-I-G-H-T, but more importantly for me and everybody here, uh, go to our website, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. You can find all of our shows there. Um, I'm actually posting a blog. I'm, I'm kind of like uh, Mr. Silverman. I've, I've been negligent of that, but I've I've been harassed long enough by the guys that help us run AV Nation, so I'm posting a blog on Monday. It's about my daughter. Everybody say, aw. Aww. All right, so check that out if you would, please. Uh, how old is your daughter, Tim? She is six. Ah. Yes. Uh, so yeah, it, it's and, about. And wait, and what's her name? Sophie. Aww. Oh, good lord! All together, guys. Aww. Aww. All right, enough. Go to the website, please. Uh, Aviation.tv, and uh, that is all the time we have for Ed. <laughs>